This morning we'll be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, and we'll be reading from verses 14 to the end of the chapter. If you have a Bible in front of you in the pews and it looks like this, uh, you can find that on page 977. Page 977. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated as we pray. Father, we come before you today and we confess that we need you. And we ask that you would strengthen us as only you are able to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you are familiar with the movie Aladdin that is set in the fictional city of Agrabah. The main character, Aladdin, who is called a street rat, doesn't have a job. And he doesn't have family either that can help him in his time of need. And because he doesn't provide for himself through work, he habitually steals food to satisfy his hunger. But a a lack of food is not the only thing that captures Aladdin's attention. He dreams that one day things will change for him. And that he will be rich. He wishes that one day... He will not only have the food that he desires, but he will also have servants to wait on him. But at the moment, he's poor, especially compared to Princess Jasmine, whose father is very wealthy. Now, money is not necessarily all that Aladdin thinks about either, because the way he sees things, he has other troubling circumstances on his mind as well. Not only does another situation arise where he's caught by guards and put into prison, but all this keeps him from what seems to be his greatest desire, which is to marry Princess Jasmine. Well, what's he going to do? It doesn't seem that he has much to look forward to, and all these mounting and unfavorable circumstances can lead him to be discouraged. 
Well, if Aladdin does eventually get out of prison and ends up in what's called the Cave of Wonders, where he's instructed to retrieve the lamp. He's told not to be tempted by the other treasures that he sees in the cave, but only to retrieve the lamp. However, as you may have seen for yourself, or you might have guessed, he sure is tempted. Today, I'd like us to see in Ephesians 3 that the church in Ephesus could also be tempted to focus on circumstances, on something that would not be beneficial for them. One's circumstances can be something, can be all that one thinks about. Brothers and sisters, do you think that we can be tempted to dwell and focus on our circumstances? Well, Paul thinks we can. We can be tempted to think about our circumstances that we wish would be changed. We can be tempted to focus our attention on things like Aladdin in the Cave of Wonders. And we can be tempted to pray mostly about our physical needs. And this all can lead us to be discouraged. So if we're tempted to focus on our circumstances, how does God want his people to respond? In this letter to the Ephesian saints, Paul, though he had a specific circumstance in mind, he lays out a solution for the Ephesians and for us that addresses all sorts of temptations. And we find this in his prayer. Let's be begin by looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, in order to see Paul's circumstance. Ephesians 3, 1 says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. So Paul was in prison. He doesn't want the saints in Ephesus, though, to lose heart or to be discouraged because of his imprisonment. And we see that in the verse that was preceded our reading, in verse 13 of chapter 3. Verse 13 says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. That's what the Ephesians could be tempted to do, to look at Paul in prison and to be discouraged. So Paul not only prays for the church in Ephesus so that they wouldn't lose heart, but he writes to them what he prays so that they could see what Paul focuses on even while he's in prison. The first point of today's message is direct your eyes not to your circumstances, but to the Lord. Direct your eyes not to your circumstances, but to the Lord. And we find that in verses 14 to 16a. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you. Paul begins this section by stating his posture of prayer. And we see that in verse 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Because Paul is concerned for the saints and their misguided focus, which we've seen in this case is Paul's imprisonment. And for that reason, he prays to the Father for them. And he records here in Ephesians 3 for us that he doesn't take the more common posture of that time, which was to stand. 
nor does he merely bow his head, as one may do in our time to one to the royal family. But he bowed his knees in a reverent prayer to the Father. Kneeling wasn't just an automatic posture that he took. He wasn't just posing before God as he kneeled or following some tradition. He sincerely bowed to the one that he calls Father and brought to God his pressing requests. And he prays to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, verse 15. And so just as a child carries the last name of their father, so too we all derive from the Father. We're created in his image, and we have our identity from him, from whom we are named. Paul goes on in verse 16 and is asking that God may grant the Ephesians according to the riches of his glory. So in God's account, he has riches of his glory. He grants answers to prayer according to these riches. And after granting answers to the prayers of the saints from all these riches, his account is not full, is not empty. It's still full. So let's not think that God's account is depleting as he's answering our prayers, and he may not be able to meet our needs. After granting answers to the saints' prayers from all these riches, his account is still full. So let's ask God, because the abundance from which he grants our prayers is always full. You see, we're not going before a God like Aladdin did with the genie, who wears shackles on his wrists and who's been locked up in a lamp for 10,000 years. We go before the Father, who, as the book of Ephesians states, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, whose riches of his grace are immeasurable, whose power is immeasurable, and he grants his people according to the riches of his glory. So if temptation comes in which we're being pulled and directed to focus on our circumstances, let's not listen to that voice and let's not dwell there and look to our finite and dependent power. Let's go reverently before the Father whose glory would burst through the world's largest bank vault. Brothers and sisters, there are many circumstances that can fight for our attention. For instance, if last year was a difficult year for you or for someone in your family at school, don't be tempted to dwell on the upcoming year, even if the pressures continue to be there. But direct your eyes onto the Lord. He is our Father from whom we derive from and who grants according to the riches of his glory. If our eyes are to be directed on the Lord, then as we are looking to him in prayer, what kind of prayers are we to pray? Well, that's our second point today. Direct your prayers not to your circumstances, but to Christ's work. Direct your prayers not to your circumstances, but to Christ's work. We find that in 16b to 17a. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith. So Paul's first petition for strength is found in verse 16. But what is this inner man that Paul's referring to? Well, he tells us in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. One's heart, one's spirit is their inner man. It's not the outer person that will one day fade away that we now see in the mirror. It's what controls our flesh or our outer person that we see in the mirror. And that inner man can be strengthened even while our outer man is fading. And the result of being strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man is to have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. You see, we're not mainly to ask for strength so that we would not suffer from something in our bodies. And we're not asking for strength in order to be powerful so that we could feel safe or that we could feel good about ourselves. We're to ask for strength so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't Christ dwell in all the believers' hearts? Yes. Paul is saying here that to dwell in the heart of the saints means that he has not only entered there, but that he remains there. He lives there. He's settled into the heart. And as he lives there, he's changing the heart. He's maturing the heart of the believer, and he's sanctifying it. When Andrea was first pregnant, she and I began to change some things in our home where we live. We were changing things so that the twins could better dwell with us. We began to baby-proof our place and install safety gates at the top of the stairs. And as they lived there, the house continued to change. Now, they weren't the ones that changed the house. Andrea and I did. But I hope that you get the idea that that's kind of what, hap- that's kind of what it's like when Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. As he dwells in the heart by faith, He's changing, he's sanctifying, and he's growing us. You see, Paul doesn't pray that the Ephesians are to muster up some strength to fight the temptation, to focus on circumstances. He doesn't pray as we might expect that he may be delivered from prison so that the Ephesians wouldn't lose heart over his circumstances. He doesn't pray as we might for physical strength to break the chains and escape prison nor does he write a song to them that expresses his own inner strength. Listen to the words of such a song from a popular artist. I won't just survive, you will see me thrive. Can't write my story, I'm beyond the archetype. I won't just conform, no matter how you shake my core, because my roots, they run deep. O ye of so little faith, don't doubt it, Don't doubt it, victory is in my veins. I know it, I know it, and I will not negotiate. I'll fight it, I'll fight it, I will transform. When the fire is at my feet again and the vultures are circling, they're whispering, you're out of time. But still I rise. This is no mistake, no accident. When you think the final nail is in, think again. Don't be surprised. I will still rise. I must stay conscious through the madness and chaos 
so I call on my angels. This is not the source of strength with power through the Spirit of God. It focuses on oneself and one's circumstances. It states that if you don't believe in yourself, you have little faith. And this thinking of power coming from self will only lead to having no room for Christ in one's heart. And that self-power can be more than just growth stunting, it's perilous. Paul's desire is that the saints be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. That the Spirit's power would be at work and that Christ would be transforming the heart as he remains there and as we continue to believe in him through life's circumstances. So, brothers and sisters, what are the thrust of our prayers? Are they mainly about physical strength and desires? Healing so that our body may be well? Or whether child or parent, do we focus our prayers on getting good grades so that parents can be satisfied? Or so that the child may get a good job? Perhaps a better job where we can afford more things. These things are not bad things. They can be prayed for. They shouldn't be our focus. We don't know if having that job is God's will, but we know that God wants Christ to be dwelling in our hearts through faith. And so our focus should be on what God wants, and that's what Christ has done and is doing in us. Which is what? Well, the book of Ephesians tells us a few things about this. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians says that God has chosen us. He has predestined for adoption to himself as sons through Christ. He has redeemed through the blood of Christ. He has given us an inheritance. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit and made us alive together with Christ. He has saved us by grace through faith, and he has brought his people near by the blood of Christ. He has created a new humanity and reconciled both Jew and Gentile to himself in one body through the cross all the saints being members of the household of God. Paul was in prison, yet he prayed for one, that the Ephesians would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, and two, a second, second part of his prayer for strength was that they would have strength, those who are rooted and grounded in love, to have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We find that in 17b to verse 19. In the lyrics of the song that I quoted earlier, the singer mentioned that her roots run deep, but didn't identify what those are rooted in. Perhaps she couldn't think of anything that she's grounded in other than herself. And we know what that's like. Because before we were saved by the grace of God, 
we too were grounded, just like this artist. But Paul, on the other hand, reminds us that the church in Christ are rooted and grounded in love. This love that he mentions is the love that the Lord has towards those who put their trust in him. And to be grounded or established in love is like a building's foundation, being grounded and established firmly in the soil. And the soil in which the church is rooted is love. So if you picture the church as a plant in a pot, those roots in the soil of the love of Christ would shatter that pot. If you've done any gardening in the last few months, as many of you probably have, you may have had to uproot some things that are of significance and certain mass, and it may have been done with great difficulty because those roots run, run deep and they're strong. So too the church's roots grow deep and they are strong because of the good soil in which the church is which is in Christ. Or if for some odd reason someone would take a bat to their house, they would understand that their house is well-grounded. It wouldn't topple over like a dollhouse because it's grounded in the soil of the love of Christ. So too it is with those who are rooted and grounded in the love of the Lord. And once being rooted and grounded and established in this love, Paul prays that we may have strength to comprehend the love of the Lord that surpasses knowledge. Look at the second half of verse 17, and we'll read through to 19. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, if you want to get physically stronger, you lift some weights. You might drink a few protein shakes. There's a different kind of strength that Paul is referring to here. Paul is writing about spiritual strength. So if we can't lift weights to get spiritually stronger, then how do we get spiritually stronger? I'm not sure we are expecting the answer that Paul gives. What one might expect Paul to write is that we get spiritually stronger by loving Christ more. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that Christ is the one that did the heavy lifting. And we get spiritually stronger by focusing on Christ's love for us, the church. So if you're down about your lack of love for Christ today, don't give into the temptation to concentrate on yourself or your love. Concentrate on Christ's love that he displayed when he died on the cross, even while you were dead in your sins. And concentrate on the promises of Scripture like being adopted to God as sons through Christ Jesus and being redeemed by the blood of Christ and on all the ways that Christ has already shown his love for you. And that's how you'll get spiritually 
stronger. Now, as we've seen, all believers are rooted and grounded in knowing the love to some extent. But Paul wants us to comprehend and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You see, it's not just knowing facts. He wants us to experience the love of Christ and to continue to do so more and more. How can we know the depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Well, do we get a tape measure out? We nail the one end to the floor, hold the other end, board a rocket ship to Mars, take it up there, and see if you can measure the love of Christ? No. If we taped all the rulers in the world together, we wouldn't be able to measure the width or the breadth of the love of Christ. If you were to take a jet-fueled arrow and to buy a sweet bow from the local outdoor store and shoot it, would you be able to know the length of the love of Christ? Do you board a submarine and find a fancy fish finder and rewire it to be a love finder? And as you descend to the bottom of the ocean, can you measure the love of Christ for the saints? No. That thing will still be beeping at the very bottom of the ocean. I think we're starting to get the point about this love that surpasses knowledge. It's not just knowing facts. It's hearing the love finder, whether you're on the boat or at the bottom of the ocean or anywhere in between. God will provide us with more and more of experiencing the love of Christ, and we will become more and more like our Lord. That's how we're filled with the fullness of God. Or to say it another way, that's how we mature. And we can see that if we look at, turn the page and look at Ephesians 4.13, Ephesians 4.13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's how we are grown in maturity. It's by knowing the love of Christ. So, Brothers and sisters, we know that God is resourceful. He gives according to the riches of his glory. But what do we desire and what do we pray for? His desire is that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That we may know the love of Christ when the vote for a new location for this church was voted down. That we may know the love of Christ when physical healing doesn't take place in our bodies, though he may bring healing in time. So let's direct our prayers not onto our circumstances, but onto the love of Christ. And this love of Christ is said to be comprehended with all the saints. And so let's lovingly direct others to the love of Christ, just like Paul is doing for us here. And let's pray for others at MABC that they would experience the love of their Lord, which surpasses understanding. This brings us to our third point. Where does this prayer lead to? This prayer leads to celebration. 
So point three, direct your celebration not to your own strength, but to God's glory. Direct your celebration not to your own strength, but to God's glory. We see that in verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. These words from verse 20 are familiar words among churchgoers. But do we see, do we see the context that they're used in? It's not saying that, far, that God is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think towards health or towards money. Sure, God is able to provide those things, but verse 20 is saying something greater than that. So let's refer to it in this sense. It's saying that God is able to do far more spiritually than we can think or ask. So let's celebrate him. Do we see in verse 21 what the text says? It says that the Father is glorified in Christ, Jesus, forever. Christ's work glorifies the Father. And so does the church. God is glorified in the church. The church growing in the likeness of Christ by one, looking to the Father, and two, praying that we may know the love of Christ, and thus maturing us, this brings glory to the Father. After praying about the work of Christ and the believers, Paul is led to praise the Lord. Do we see that? When directing our eyes to the Lord and our prayers to the work of Christ, we won't end in celebrating our own strength, but in celebrating the one in whom true strength is found. Can you think of an instance that something great was asked for? Well, the instance I thought of was found in Mark 4 with a paralytic who was lowered after the roof was torn and he was lowered to, right in front of Jesus. The man's four friends had carried him to Jesus to be healed. They were asking for this great thing of Jesus. And Jesus not only heals him, Jesus forgives his sins. Jesus had, did, had done far more abundantly than was asked of him. So what do you think about the man that was healed? You think he walked away pounding his chest because of the strength that he had as he was laying on the mat? Oh, that would be foolish. This man was strengthened by the Lord. And the result of this was that all were amazed and they gave glory to God. So let's pray this kind of prayer to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. For his power is at work in us. And we can celebrate that. Is God able to do more than we ask? Yes, but that's not all. Is he able to do far more than we ask? Yes, but the text says even more. Is he able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think? Yes. The paralytic man was not only healed, but his sins were forgiven. 
So let's ask God that he would strengthen us and strengthen our brothers and sisters with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Ask God that we, that all the saints, may have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we might be more like the Lord. Ask for these great strengths, and he will strengthen us, and he will be glorified in the church. Growing up, I could walk to three delis on the corner, and I could buy stuff for a quarter. Can't do much of that anymore. You could either buy a quarter juice, a pack of gum, or a bag of chips. But I didn't have a job like Aladdin. But I did have someone who was resourceful in my family. So I'd go to my father, and I'd ask him for a quarter. I didn't ask for $10, at least at that age. And I didn't ask for $20. But when I would go to my father and ask for a quarter, he would respond by saying, do you know me to be that cheap? And he would give me more than I asked for. See, we can be tempted in our prayers on asking God to get us out of certain circumstances. But do we know God to be that cheap? God wants much more for us. He wants us to see what is being done in us through the work of Christ. So let's not be tempted to think mostly about our circumstances and how they can be resolved, but instead let's, work it, let's focus on the work of Christ in our lives and in the life of this church, because that is a far greater provision from the Lord, and that is our far greater need. Let's seek him for strength right now. Father, you know all things. You know our circumstances and the temptation that they can be to us. And some of us have given into that temptation. Lord, strengthen us with your power in the inner man that we would not focus on trials but on Christ's work. And strengthen us to comprehend all of us the immeasurable love of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name.